Hello and welcome to another episode of the Football Faithful Podcast. Plenty of thrills and spills in both the Premier League and the Champions League since we last spoke, so there's lots for the lads to dissect. And joining me this week are Peter Henry. Hi, Peter. How's it going, lads? Not too bad. Anthony Kelly's there as well. Hi, Ant. How are we doing, lads? You okay? Good, good. And Colin Boog's back. Hi, Colin. Hi, all. Right. Uh, as I said, loads and loads and loads happened in the uh, the last week or so since we've been on. But let's start with the moment of that week, Peter. Yeah, for me, it was kind of a late winner. It was during last night's game, uh, Chelsea's 2-2 with Burnley. Um, David Luiz's just outrageous dive was just, <laughs> yeah, just made my day so bad. It was actually just hilarious. Um in case anyone hasn't seen it, just go on to Twitter. You'll, you'll, you'll find it fairly quickly. But he gets the ball kind of just inside his own half. And he does well, kind of manoeuvres himself, a bit of space, twists and turns. He's bringing the ball forward. And I think it's Ashley Barnes, the Burnley striker, coming up behind him. And Luis is kind of expecting him to come into the back of him. So he stops. But Barnes just stops. He like realises what he's doing and stops short of making contact. But Luis is already committed, so he does this ridiculous belly flop onto the ball. <laughs> he realizes within a split second that, you know, he's not going to get a free. So he just kind of hops back up and plays the ball out to Emerson and just styles it out, runs off as if nothing had, nothing had happened. But, uh, yeah, it was it was just absolute. It was da- David Luis doing David Luis things, really. It was brilliant. Nice. Perfect. Uh, Colin, what about yourself? My moment of the week is uh, Fulham and registering an away win. Uh, <laughs> To give you those uh, amazing Saturday read from the weekend, uh, Scott Parker is the first Fulham manager to win an away Premier League game since Felix McGath at the same club. <laughs> Incredible. Oh so uh, that's definitely uh, it for me. And Fulham are just ruining everyone else's season now with like twisted individuals. So I love it. Uh, <laughs> and also a hat tip to Christian Benteke, who scored his first goal in about 745 years. So fair play, Christian. Absolutely. I believe he scored as many Premier League goals as Eric Cantona now. And uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, as uh, one tweeter, so actually I thought saw on the football faithful has now scored as many goals as Eric Cantona, and is even more loved by uh, is is actually liked by Crystal Palace fans. <laughs> oh no, he's class. He's unreal. I want to go. <laughs> uh, right, and yourself. Uh, now forgive me because I know I'm on with three Manchester United supporters here, but I've um, I've hit the holy grail with Sky Go at the moment, so I'm really soaking up a lot of Sky coverage. Um, against against my best interest but just watching Gary Neville's um, impassioned and sometimes even mysterious and noir sort of dissections of Manchester <laughs> United um, just going on about he's not going to name players even though we all know the players he's talking about and throwing, throwing in references to Japanese knotweed and oh you know if we don't win next week I'm going to start naming names it's like oh alright Gary it's all. And, you know, I'm, not, I'm not laughing at Man United I do admire his passion you know but I just thought there was some really creative um Creative thing thrown out there by Genev. Thought that was uh, that was excellent. He's kind of paid like a lot of money to name names, don't know. Well, yeah, exactly. They were trying to get it out of him. They were like, "Come on, who do you mean?" And he was like, "Well, I don't need to name players." He's like, "Well, come on." You kind of do. That, that is sort of your job, but uh, he's sort of maybe slightly with the egg in his face anyway. With the whole, uh, you know. How long do you want on your contract? How much do you want? And when do you start? Or where's the statue going? And all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, plenty of time to laugh at Man United later on in the show. Let's uh, let's get started, though, with the league leaders. And that's Liverpool uh, following up a convincing win in the Champions League against Porto with a 2-0 win away to Cardiff. And, I mean, they're, they're relentless. Yeah, Sam, there's nothing to see. We can move on to the next club. But there's nothing to see here, mate. It's all, <laughs> yeah. it's all fine. Talk about someone else. No, um, 
to be honest with you, yeah, it, it's it's another excellent week. Um, I'm just trying my best to enjoy it all at the moment. Um, like looking at them against Porto, the um, the, the sort of started quite poorly in the match. Um, but it was one of the strange sort of assaults on goal I've ever seen by a home side in Europe. They were just they were sort of shooting on sight, Porto, and it looked like they battered us because they had something like 25 shots in the first 13 minutes of the game, which was just nuts. It was just crazy. Or well, might be vice versa. I don't know. I might be making that bit up, but they were just like uh, they were just shooting on sight, and I was like, Jesus, you know, if they nick a goal here, but. At the same time, Liverpool weren't really flustered. They just sort of sat back and you could just see Van Dijk and Robertson, Marshall and everyone just keeping it calm. And I, I nearly fell off the chair laughing when we scored with our first attempt on goal. And it was just our first foray into the box. And, uh, you know, good little side ball over to Mane and scores, gets the VAR decision, which is great. Um, you know, I thought it was actually um, used really well um, in, in that instance, VAR, because I think offside's quite hastily given quite a lot these days because the movement's so quick I think Lansman are guessing it and when you see it on a replay and you know he's blatantly onside it, it, it's nice to see it overturned so that was uh, that was pleasing to see but yeah they saw the game out slowly slowly sort of got a grip on proceedings at Porto and just just showed the class really it was just so calm and composed for a quarter final I know Porto were probably what a lot of people are saying the easiest team we could have got and all that and you, you wouldn't be wrong the draw was favourable um, but you've still got to go there and win. You've still got to go there against a team who've got a very good home record. And uh, we, we lost to Red Star Belgrade earlier in the tournament, which was supposed to be a dead cert. And these places aren't as easy to go as what people say. So it was, it was quite, you know, to, to win 6 1 in the quarterfinal of a Champions League was was impressive. Um, Cardiff afterwards, that was a. Uh, that was tough. I was, I was watching the game. I was knackered watching it. I don't know how, how, how they fared up in 25 degree heat, but um, it, it was it, not an easy afternoon that for them. Um, and Cardiff made life very hard, as you'd expect. Um, sat very deep with two banks of, of five at, at times in front of the goal. Um, the pitch was very dry. I know a lot was made of that, but I did notice on quite a lot of occasions the ball just died a death when it, when we were trying to play it out and we were trying to hit them on the break. Um not excusing Firmino's miss because it was a glaring miss, but again, the way the ball set up, it wasn't ideal. So we had to sort of battle that. Um, but yeah, again, just sort of rode our, you know, rode our luck slightly, but, but got on, again, got hold of the game and took our chances when they came in the second half. And you, you, you can't you can't argue at the moment, you've got to enjoy it. I mean, we are doing all that we can. We've just got to keep on winning our games and looking back at City and go, well, the onus is back on you boys. Um, all, all we can do is do what we're doing. And, um, I've been reading a lot on Twitter of late, which is um, a, a bit more of the sort of enlightened opinions on Twitter out there. But there's there's quite a few respected um, Liverpool Echo journalists and a few other people sort of echoed my sentiments this season. Where even if we do come up short and Man City do go on to win their last remaining games, which is quite plausible, you still can't be too devastated because we haven't done too much wrong. You see, uh, this, this is what I want, really. This is exactly what I was trying to get out of Danny last week, but I just got fucking misery from the guy <laughs> talking about how, <laughs> basically talking about how, you know, they're going to go through the season only having lost one game and still not win the league, you know? <laughs> yeah, it, it will, and it'll sting, and we'll, we'll get a lot of grief for it and and all that. But, I mean, I was looking at the results for the, the rest of the top six over the weekend, and I was thinking, bloody hell, did, we are literally Liverpool and City at the moment are head and shoulders above anybody else in the league. Twenty head points. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And that, that's the first time in my lifetime supporting Liverpool. I've hand on heart said, I look at the other four teams beneath us, and 
they'd need to spend upwards of 100 to 200 million pounds in some in some cases to, to catch where we are with City at the moment. So if we don't do it this season, you know, you, you can't be you can't be too devastated. It will be it will be hard to see them get so many points on the board and come second. But it's it's hard to sort of point the fingers at. Oh, you know, we, we bollocks it up there. I know there was a couple of draws in, in January against Leicester and and West Ham, and you, you, you can, if you're being hypercritical, say, you know, we, we could have gone five or six points, seven points clear, but we're up against one of the greatest teams in, in Premier League history, so I'm, at the moment, just watching them play so well, uh, and, and play without pressure, and play with control and poise, I'm, I'm just trying to enjoy it, and you, you can't help but be impressed by them at the moment, to be totally honest. Yeah, it's true, Peter, like, last week we kind of said, you know, if City were to go on and win it, it, it might even be sort of, you know, the, the quality of this run-in and this title race might be kind of forgotten about, but really when you when you take a step back and you look at it, the run that these two teams have been on is, is really incredible. Oh, no, 100%. I think even as a, as a staunch Man United fan at this stage, I, I would agree with, with Ant on that point that Liverpool have... Liverpool have been outstanding um, this season, and again, it, it's they never really look ruffled in games. They are very much in control when you see them play. They don't need to to score early goals to to kind of to, to settle down anymore. They look very confident in, in in themselves and 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 you know what they've been asked to do by their coach. Um, now, in in terms of because they keep winning. Both teams keep winning. We haven't had that kind of defining moment of drama that you know we can we can um, we can remember about so many great title races. But you have to take your hat off to to the pace the both of them are, are setting. And I agree they they both just look they both look um, head and shoulders above above every other team at the moment. Um, it, it's very like a, you know I thought it'd be a tough game for Liverpool or Cardiff, but you kind of always thought that. That that they get through get through it, you know. Liverpool, that same Liverpool team, kind of a year ago, two years ago, you, you yeah. wouldn't have felt that way. But they they have Liverpool have turned into a real winning machine now. And uh, yeah, no, I think I think they'll go down. Look, realistically, the way it looks now, they're going to finish with one of the the largest Premier League, top five Premier League total points totals of all time. And and if that is actually to come second, you know, it, it's hard look. You know, like Anne said, hypercritical going back to, to draws in in um in January, but like City lost a few games not long before that as well. So um th- yeah, the, the, the both teams have just been phenomenal all year. Um kind of different, I would say. Liverpool look more in control now than they did a month ago, I think. Or even two months ago, they look a lot more comfortable with what they're trying to achieve. There was that period where I think it got to them a little bit, but they still see well, well and truly over that now. And you know, I've seen a few people say it recently. It's very true. It, all the talk was of the quadruple. Um, Liverpool have a very good chance of doing the double, the Champions League and uh, and the Premier League, which in a way I'd say would even be better than a domestic treble because they're, they're the two most difficult tournaments to win, you know? So, uh, yeah, you have to take your hat off to them and you have to take a hat off to them how they have conducted themselves over the... This is fucking killing me, lads. You have to take your hat off to them how they <laughs> conducted themselves over the last three or four years. Their, their transfer strategy, they haven't gone after big names for the sake of it. They've been prepared to wait for players they wanted instead of just being reactive. Um basically everything that Man United have not been. Um, it, yeah, it, proper planning 
a wise recruitment, um, and they're seeing the fruits of that now. Um, yeah, I have to take my hat off to them as much as I hate to say it. <laughs> Colin, Peter mentioned it uh, kind of there. I mean, I mean, could you say that Liverpool are possibly even favourites for that Champions League? Um, no. No, I mean, I mean, we 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 spoke before how Barcelona. Are, are, I mean, obviously they're fantastic. Obviously they've got great players, but they're the kind of team that you could see Liverpool beating. Spurs, oh, yeah, yeah. could be completely wiped out. I, I ask. I mean, who knows what they could do? I guess, but they're they're certainly one of the favourites, if not the favourite. Oh, Liverpool are one of the three best teams in the world right now. Like definitely, uh, they're unbelievable. But I I genuinely think Barcelona will beat them. Um, and I think Barcelona will beat Ajax in the final. But I think I'm getting really worried now, lads, about the Premier League here. Um, <laughs> you know, I was sitting pretty for weeks on end here, and I'm not going to change it. I am not going to change my prediction now. I still think the title will be staying in Manchester, just the wrong half. But I, geez, like Liverpool's consistency is unbelievable. Like I was reading there today, and uh, Liverpool have lost four of their last 68 games. They're just yeah. unbelievable. And, like, the difference... I think they were more enjoyable to watch last season. even And from a Man United's point of view fan as well, or fan's point of view, I should say, because they were a bit of Kevin Keegan-esque about. They were just... Yes, they were. For, yeah. you know, all that. But this, this year, they really mean business. I mean, they really, really do. And history, in 20 or 30 years' time, if, if Liverpool do it, We'll look back and you'll probably get confused with the two seasons between. They'll be like, which one was the year that Salah was unbelievable, particularly? And you'll be like, oh, it was actually the year before and they really meant business. It's like everyone's caught up with Salah's level this season in the Liverpool team. And there's big talk of who's going to get player of the year. And it's kind of a coin toss between Van Dijk and Sterling, in most people's opinions. And I have to say, like, I, I, think, I think Van Dijk should get it because he's been a colossus. And... It's like the you mentioned Eric Cantona earlier in the pod. Cantona had this amazing effect on United that he he improved the players around them by his sheer presence. Mm-hmm. And I that, I think Van Dijk is one of a handful of players, and I mean handful in Premier League history to do that to his teammates. He's unbelievable. Like well, he's just, just talk of him. Just talk of him taking us up a gear, but I, I disagree with that. I think he's taken us up several gears. If I'm being yeah. totally honest, I'm not to say not to be a smart ass, but you know, we we were this time last season. Our, our status in the Champions League in the top four was still up in the air, and I know he was at Liverpool this time last season. But our defence in the first half of that campaign was so bad. It was so poor. Everyone always forgets that. You know, that was the year we went away to Sevilla and we were three 0 up away. And we had to be blew it away. And we, we, Ended up drawing free all, and they were still doing these stupid games where we we're having to score five goals just to be absolutely sure of winning. But he's come in and not just improved the defence. You, you you can tell he's he's just improved everyone around him. He's he's like right, he, he's barking orders, he's shouting at people, uh, he's bollocking people, and you have to be bollocked. But people aren't going to hide and getting miffed with that. They just know it's Van Dijk. He's the captain. Uh, I know I know he's not the captain, but he is pretty much you know symbolically the captain of that football club. Um, and yeah, he's brought so much. I mean, one of my big complaints about watching Liverpool, um, even sometimes under Klopp early on, there were no talkers on the pitch. It was very quiet as a team. Um, we had big, you know, Joel Matip, six foot five, and Jordan Henderson was a likeable lad flying into tackles, but there was no big presences in the team. And he's come in and just 
completely changed us as a unit, as a team. And I, I love seeing us play with so much more control now. And I think it all stems from him. Talk to me about Allison uh, as well, because you know there was a lot of chat at the start of the season about his distribution, and of course he had that that Cruyff turn that didn't quite go right earlier on in the season. But you know the goalkeeping position has been such an issue for Liverpool for years and years now, really, and now we're just not talking about it. No, no, that's the thing. I mean, with Allison again, he's another one. He's so controlled and composed. Um, I know there are times when he's erratic and like the balls play back to him, but you know, there's a corner ball brought in. You've you've just got no sort of fear. Like there was a time when every time Liverpool conceded a corner with Mignolet in goal, you're like, damn, it's like it's like like a bloody penalty. It's fifty fifty whether this is going to go in or not. You know, that's how bad it was watching Liverpool defence set pieces, and a lot of the uncertainty stemmed from Mignolet and Carrius and all these other fellas who, you know, if they were going to punch, catch, come at all. And they were letting in, you know, there were moments where they make some decent saves, but I, I think any goalkeeper at a big club should be capable of making saves. But Allison's come in and just, again, just, just not just one level up, but a couple of levels up from what we had. And um, there's been big moments this season, and the Napoli save um, in the Champions League comes to mind where he makes an absolute belter save in the last minute. Um, away at Stamford Bridge, uh, that, that was early on in the season where, where Sturridge got that last minute equaliser, but. He kept us in the game, um, Allison, with, with two really big saves. And again, the mark of a good goalkeeper, he hasn't been that busy this season. He hasn't had too much to do, but he has been ready and went called upon. I think, you know, there are still times I'd like to see him, his distribution be a touch better. But again, I'm being hypercritical on splitting hairs there. You know, he's he really has sort of broke, added to the composure and the control that we've seen from Liverpool um, over the past sort of 18 months. Can I give you any, uh, my stat of the week, lads? This this is a fall off the chair moment. Allison is younger than Jesse Lingard. Yeah, you mentioned yeah, this to me. Yeah, he's not that old. Yeah, he's only he's only twenty four, only twenty five. Yeah. Yeah, you you mentioned it to me the other day that Lingard is twenty seven, and I I just I, it broke my heart. <laughs> I'll be honest. But he's not like. Anyway, uh, right, that's Liverpool, and uh, let's talk about uh, City then. They're second, um, but really. What we need to start talking about is City Spurs uh, in the Champions League 4-3 and the most fucking ridiculous game of football I've seen in years, <laughs> Peter. Yeah, no, like, uh, just, yeah, for pure football and porn, really. And I think it's the kind of game that you can really <laughs> enjoy when you're, a, when you're a Man United or when you're a fan, when you're not, I think you, I think I've said it before on the pod that I don't even really enjoy watching my own team so, so sometimes because I'm so... I'm I'm too into it. Whereas with this one, you could just sit back and you were going to enjoy whatever happened, you know. Um, so I I I had tipped Spurs to to go through, um, but I definitely didn't think it was going to turn out that way. Um, you know, it was just bonkers, absolutely absolutely bonkers game of football. Um, it's just end end to end. Uh, the other, I suppose, we we'll get on to the to the to the next game uh, that happened on Saturday as well, because even though that was only 1-0, I still thought it was hugely entertaining. But it just had so much drama, that game. It had, what was it, 3-2 after like 20 minutes. Do you mm. know, City go ahead after a couple of minutes, then Spurs, it's 2-1. You go, ah, oh, it's all over. You know, City need need to go a couple of, you know, a couple of goals, clear them here. Next, you know, City back to 3-2 by half time. Son, brilliant finish, <clears throat> lovely finish by Raheem Sterling, quality goals, um, you know, and then 
I thought City kind of got on top in the second half, but I think we discussed it on the pod as well last week that, you know, Moore and Son were, were, would give City problems and, and, and Spurs consistently looked looked dangerous on the break. Then, of course, Aguero, Aguero gets the goal. And then even the way it ended was just, like, high drama. Like, you got to... Like the the Lorente, like did it hit his hip? Did it hit his hands? It goes in, you know, kind of a man who's taking a lot of stick off Spurs fans is the man who sends him into ecstasy, and then uh, and yeah, the, then the the Raheem the the Raheem Sterling goal at the end, and it's just like <laughs> they went full celebration for a good two minutes before they realized yeah, exactly. Loud, like so cruel, so cruel, but brilliant at the same time. Um, I just, yeah, just a, like a fantastic game of football. I'd say it'll go down. Like I was looking on the website, uh, you'd done, uh, you'd done a five best all Premier League Champions League games, Sam. Oh yeah, and yeah, like so one of them is is coming out. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think that's replaced by that. But, I, th- um, I think that's probably fair. <laughs> Yeah, I think it'll go it'll go down as in in history as you know one of not even just the best kind of between English teams, but one of the best Champions League games because it was just it, you know sometimes games take a while to get going, but like right from like the first couple of minutes you were there, you were one hundred percent captivated by this game, you know, um, and it, it, like I actually honestly felt at like after twenty minutes I actually thought this could be like. Seven five or something like that, you know. I was fucking you know? exhausted watching it. It was brilliant. I actually thought the game on Saturday, the one nil. Um, I thought that was really entertaining, even though it didn't have the same amount of goals. Uh, I, I like the, the ease with which Son and Mora were getting in behind City's defense was ridiculous. I'd go as far as to say I reckon Spurs had. Six to seven clear cut chances in that game. I'd say they had more clear cut chances in the the game they lost one nil than they actually had in the game. Well, that that they also lost, but you forget they lost because it feels like a win four three. Um, but that was that was really really entertaining and a, like such a su- such a twist. It always seems to happen in football that if like two clubs get each other in in a two in a you know a two legged tie that they'll meet in the league or you know like when a player goes to a new club he'll always his first game will be against his old club or whatever it always throws up these scenarios and uh, yeah just after the drama that had been during the week it, it was great to see them going at it again and uh, even though it didn't have the goals it was still hugely entertaining and i thought that was the first time actually you know, we've been saying that Liverpool, it felt like Liverpool have been in a title race for months. But because City, City have scored, I think, what was the stat I saw the other day? I think it's in nine of their last 20 games, they've scored in the first five or 10 minutes. So City's games have never had that real tenseness to them. But there was real tension in that one on Saturday. And that's the first time I saw City really looking frazzled like the pressure was on you know they knew how much that game meant to them um, and it was one of their last big big hurdles so yeah it was a, like a brilliant trilogy of games really um, yeah and, and a Champions League game for the ages I'd say yeah, the, uh, just to go back again to that Champions League game, Colm, I mean it was one of the best games that we can all remember we all absolutely loved it and enjoyed it but one person I'm sure who absolutely hated it, apart from having egg in his face and running up and down the sidelines at the end of the game, was Pep Guardiola. Because, you know, for a man who loves to control games and and, know, and you know have everything down to the just the minutia, that was just, just completely batshit crazy. There was no there was no order to that game. Yeah, 
Yeah, and he also owes me an apology for ruining my fucking dinner because I was <laughs> trying to cook it in the first 20 minutes of the match and then every time I looked at the TV, it was a new scoreline. I thought they were showing me the highlights. It was like, it's live. This is insane. Um, so that was that was partly his fault. But um, look, he has previous, I mean, like, he his his teams, and as in, you know, his last three teams, Barcelona, Bayern and Man City, have previous for falling apart in the Champions League knockout stages. He hasn't won the competition since 2011. And that's all fine. And, uh, it's nothing to be ashamed of in the grand scheme of things, of course. But if we're talking about Pep Guardiola as one of the greatest managers of all time, which we all do, uh, that has to come into question. What, his record in the Champions League knockout stages. Well, what what, is, what is it? Because like he, his teams are like so dominant I, domestically that they practically change football and how it's played in the countries in which he plays. Yeah. Uh, that it, how, why isn't it translating in the Premier League, in the Champions League? I, yeah, he's won it he, twice, but like he has this weird hang-up about the Champions League where he has to change the tactics and do something radical, and yet they seem so much more relaxed on Saturday in comparison to Wednesday against the same team uh, at the same venue. Now I know they won both games technically, so that you know there's the other thing that people forget, like they actually did beat Spurs twice, but. And if it wasn't for VAR, if it was any other season in Premier League or in football history, they would have would have probably gone through because I don't think that offside at the end was going to be spotted. Um, so they were unlucky in that sense. But I thought Spurs justified going through, to be honest. And what I think is really interesting is that Spurs are Man City's kryptonite. They're just something about Spurs <laughs> that City can't deal with. Like... If you look at the statistics behind it, and this is damning on Pep Guardiola, is that City's, City's 11 against Spurs at the weekend mm. costs nearly 400 million, and Spurs was just shy of 125. Yet, the game, both games were 50-50. Both games had the odd goal in it. And there's something about Spurs that they, they, they uh, tap away at the armour of City bit by bit. Uh, like fucking Tim Robbins and Shawshank Redemption getting that wall down like gradually. <laughs> and uh, instead of 19 years, it's over 19 minutes. And they did it twice in a row. But like, they're... Um, sorry, I, I saw Shawshank the other day, so that just came into my head. But uh, like, City, um, they just... It's a strange thing if you were a City fan because they are probably the best Premier League team ever. Uh, yes. In Europe, there's massive question marks, and it has to come down to Pep. But the only team or person or player that's beating Pep in the Champions League is Pep, because he's completely overthinking it. But personally, you, delighted that Spurs got through, obviously. Twice in a row, they've gone out to Premier League clubs. Yeah, as well. yeah, yeah. And yeah, so I, I think in Europe, maybe as well, there's the because Guardiola's teams do give give space, you know, leave space there. I think maybe it's just a step up in. Uh, in class to people to exploit that but you're right he does like he he effectively lost that tie by overthinking in the first leg probably um but one thing i know for sure lads i'd say i'd say his head is absolutely melted by by forgetting that other you know other people judging him for somebody who's such a perfectionist i'd say it's absolutely killing him that he can't really he can't go far in the champions league at the moment well i need to i like I don't know what the story with Leroy Sané is, but there's obviously a yeah. problem there. Yeah. There's, obviously, there's obviously something going on there because Sané's one of the most dangerous players in the league. And in the first leg um, at Spurs' new stadium, like, just take 89 minutes until De Bruyne and Sané come on. 
and Mares, who I like, I am a fan of Riyad Mares, but he was so ineffectual in that game. And I was looking at the starting lineup, and it's easy to say in hindsight, but I genuinely was before that first leg started. I was thinking, why does why is Pep making this hard for himself? Why why is he doing this? I mean, I was thinking that's not the way to combat this Spurs team. Like that Spurs team are brilliant, but they do lack pace, which I've been saying all yeah. season. And yeah. if you just had Sterling on one flank and Sané on the other, you'd scare the shit out of them. But it was. I think though, Colin, with that, maybe he thinks that that's that's almost too sort of full throttle because I couldn't believe watching that game how open it was. I mean, yeah, it, they've been linked, haven't they? Just in the aftermath for that defeat, they've been linked to a sixty million pound defensive midfielder. I forget his name now. He's at Atletico Madrid, and there's no surprise. I think you, you can almost see maybe Guardiola sitting down afterwards and just shaking his head and thinking that was an absolute shambles, you know, because it, it really was so wide open. Um, yeah. As a contest, maybe he doesn't trust Sane, um, uh to to do some of the the hard the hard yards. Maybe I don't he, know. he didn't start Fernandinho in the first leg either, did he? No, he didn't. No, which, no. Which which was a really strange one because there was a point earlier on in the season. I don't know if he's not fully fit, but there was a point earlier on in the season where it was like if Fernandinho, like people making the case that in many ways Fernandinho was almost City's most important uh, player. Yeah. When they had that yeah. tough one around Christmas, it was when Fernandinho was out. So. Maybe he wasn't fit. Um, I, I personally think Guardiola was maybe trying to juggle a bit because he knew, um, he, he kind of thought, because I remember watching that game and I thought, if he's able to beat this Spurs team, and let's be honest, if Aguero had scored that penalty, things yeah, might have yeah. been different. I remember thinking, if he's able to beat this with, with two or three of, say, his normal, not, not his starting eleven in it, and then they're all fresh to go in the second leg and against Spurs again. That you know that will just show how fearsome they are. But obviously, you know he he, he paid the price for for yeah for, for tinkering when it really should he shouldn't have tinkered. I would say. What about Spurs then? Can they go all the way in the Champions League, or are we just going to sort of continue the narrative we have that they're just too wiped, too knackered, and it's just going to fall apart? Well, I um. I don't believe what everyone's saying that Ajax are going to hammer them. I just don't see that. I think because Ajax, in the previous two rounds against Real Madrid and Juventus, they were obviously massive underdogs. But this time, they're going into it as favourites, really. So it'll be interesting to see how they play like that way. Um, and Spurs have no players left because uh, I don't think Harry Kane's going to be fit for that first leg. And Son is suspended. So <laughs> I like they have... They have like nobody left. Vincent Janssen. Vincent Janssen, <laughs> back from the dead. But um, I don't think Ajax are going to hammer them, but I think they will beat them. But that, it's such an interesting semi final because I don't remember any semi final like this in the Champions League. You know, like this could easily be a Europa League semi final on paper. And yet they're going all the way in there to this, to the last four stages of the, you know, what's supposed to be the greatest competition in club football and arguably world football. And yet it's these two like sides that pretty much are putting a smile on people's faces. Um, like Ajax are just so, so good to watch. But I think Spurs will give them a game. I do ultimately think that Ajax will go through. I don't know what you think, lads, but I think Ajax will go through. Yeah, I'd, I'd, lean, to, I'd lean towards Spurs over the two legs, doing it. Son's only out for the first one. Um yeah, I, I think I think what you said has a big bearing in that Ajax were such overwhelming underdogs in the other ones that Spurs Spurs are quite a young team themselves, but they've been around the block a bit more than than Ajax. Um, 
I, I'd, I'd fancy Spurs to get to get in, if I'm honest. And it's interesting, with, with Harry Kane, I think they'd rather have him back against Ajax, but I really think that not having him there almost suited them away to City in, them to, in the la- last two games they played against them. Because, uh, yeah, having Son up front and, and Lucas Moura, just they're the perfect two to get at Man City's City's mm. backline. Whereas I think they'd love to have Kane back for uh, for the Champions League and, and especially without Son. And very quickly, on. who who do you prefer to have in the final? <laughs> We've got a small matter of a semi final to think of first. Sam, but, <laughs> it's only Barcelona; but, it'd be grand. It's only Barcelona over two legs. Don't worry about it. Um, it's so hard because it was very interesting. Pete talking about the um, underdog mentality before. I think Liverpool have played up to that quite a lot in recent years. Um, so if we did somehow get past Barcelona, I don't think I'd like the English dynamic. I don't think I'd like it being an all-English final. Um, that might suit Spurs a bit more because I think we'd be expected to win. Um, I don't think Liverpool historically have done too well in finals like that. Um, so yeah, probably Ajax. Although, although it would be like a fairy tale for them, I think I would back the way we've controlled games this season. I would back us against them to have a bit more, just a bit too much for them. All right, well, uh, we'll keep an eye, obviously, on that. Uh, right then, still plenty to come, including uh, lots of moaning and bitching about Man United, but now it's time for the quiz. It's the usual quiz where I name a whole lot of teams that a player has played for, and you identify that player by the teams that he's played for. Just say your name, guys, whenever uh, you want to come in. So this first player began his career at Ajax, seeing as we're talking about them. And then, seeing as we're talking about them as well, he moved on to Liverpool. Ant. Ant. Jan Mulby. Nope. Peter. Peter. Zenden. Nope. No. Ajax to Liverpool. Ajax to Liverpool and then to... Peter. Hover- Peter. Yari Lippmann. Nope. Ant. 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 Ryan Babel. It's Ryan Babel. Very good. Uh, right then, player number two. Uh, player number two began his career at Everton and went from Everton to Manchester City. Peter. Peter. Jack Rodwell. It is Jack Rodwell. Very good. And uh, I've got one more, right? This one. Oh, I hope one of you get it early because he's a serious journey- journeyman. He began his career at Brentford. Peter. Peter. I'll go with my, my standard Grant Holt. For this. No, not Grant Holt. <laughs> no. uh, went from Brentford to Crystal Palace. Peter. Peter. Len Murray. Nope. Went from Palace to Port Vale. Went from Port Vale to Sheffield United. Peter. Peter. Paul Pesky Salido. <laughs> no. Uh, and? and? Yeah, Mulby. No, yeah, no. Uh, went from Sheffield United to Blackburn Rovers. Peter. Peter. Tim Sherwood. Not Tim Sherwood, no. Went from Blackburn Rovers then to Ipswich Town. Peter. Peter. Marcus Bent. It is Marcus Bent. Very, oh, very yeah. good. Ah, oh, God, thank God, because he then went to Leicester City, Everton, Charlton Athletic, Wigan Athletic, Birmingham City, Middlesbrough, QPR, Wolves, Sheffield United, and Mitra Kukar. Serious career out of him. <laughs> has, he, has he not scored the most, the uh, scored Premier League goals for the most clubs? Is that is that Marcus Bent? Uh, it probably is. If uh, if so, you know, if all of these teams were in the Premier League at the time, yeah, it's entirely possible. Uh, right, two for you, Peter, and uh, one for Ant Column. 
need to catch up in the second half. But we'll start the second half of the pod with uh, Chelsea then. Uh, a seven-goal thriller, sort of, against Slavia Prague to go through in the Europa League semis, uh, to the Europa League semis even, and then followed that up with a frustrating game against Burnley. 2-2, Callum Hudson-Odoi is injured and out for the rest of the season, and uh, Sari was sent to the stands following some verbals and handbags with the uh, Clarets bench. And yet, with results elsewhere, which we'll get on to, you'd have to say that they're probably happy enough with this weekend. Peter, we'll start with you. Um, yeah, no, I wouldn't agree with that, that. That they're too happy. That was that was a big chance, I think, for them to to get three points. But but um, what I mean is, it could have been a lot worse. It, it could have been worse, yeah. But I, you know, that that would, yeah, I, yeah, that's not kind of different. I know what you mean, but you know, I'd say they're also disappointed by the fact that they passed up the opportunity to get a, to get to get three points against Burnley at home, which is a kind of fixture that. You know, a team looking to finish in the top four when the chips are down and Burnley are pretty much safe would would it be expected to get three points from? Um, game the game actually started off really well. Chelsea flew out of the traps and then, you know, Jeff Hendrick um, scored a cracking volley from the edge of the box. But City City hit back um, straight away and and Gonzalo Higuain he looks he looks a couple of pounds overweight but he can still. Thunder bastard, the bollocks out of a football when he needs to, um, and it, it, it kind of had had to feel a bit of of that mental game we talked to earlier because it finished two two, but all the goals were scored within kind of the first 20, 20 odd minutes. Um, but yeah, it just like in 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 this, I was kind of half watching it, and in the second half especially, um, the, the Burnley are quite smart the, the way they played. They kind of they forced Chelsea out wide. And Chelsea had to resort to just crossing balls into the box all the time, and like you know, Ben Mee and and Tarkovsky are two two of the best um, around for for repelling attacks like that. So um, bit of drama, Sari getting sent off then. Um, but yeah, like Zola did the interviews after, and like they were really annoyed with Burnley's tactics, obviously, and. Um, but yeah, listen, it's it's what you have to deal with, and it's, Chelsea just weren't good enough in the second half to to break them down. Um, so yeah, I, I with results elsewhere, and and the fact Arsenal still have to play away from home a bit, um, they, they will be fancying their chances, and they do look to have a bit of a better chance than they did before. Um, but they still aren't entirely convincing either. Chelsea fans booing again last night. Um, and yeah, I, I just think a lot of it will come down to, to, to the Man United game um, as well, because I'm kind of losing faith in Arsenal. <laughs> you know, they, you know they were terrible against Everton. They they didn't even deserve to beat Watford, who were down to ten men for the entire game, and then they were they were really poor against Crystal Palace. And you know, when Mustafi's around, any other team has a sniff. So yeah, it's it's kind of. Uh, yeah, it was like nobody actually wants to finish in the top four the way this weekend went, really, like, you know. So, yeah, I'd say that I, if, if I was a Chelsea fan, honestly, I'd be raging that they didn't take three points from that game. But that, that rage would be slightly dissipated by the fact that the other, like the, their three rivals for, for the last two spots went and lost. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, Colin, we'll chat about them then. Uh, Arsenal, like, I wonder with these two results, the... Uh, the the drop points for Chelsea and the loss for Arsenal against Palace. I wonder is that possibly down to that you know that Europa League Thursday Sunday kind of 
schedule thing that, that, that happens that way? Or was it just, uh, I don't know, have you got any other explanation for it? Yeah, I think that was it because um, they beat Watford last Monday night away 1-0. Good result. Watford were very good this season. And then to go to Napoli and win so comfortably. I don't know if you saw the goal, Lacazette's free kick is brilliant. It's cracking, man. Yeah, they beat Napoli so comfortably over the two legs. So I thought they had turned the corner under uh, Unai Emery. And then the results on Sunday just were really surprising. Uh, but, you know, Palace have, uh, they have previous in that, you know, they upset City by the same scoreline that the had in December. And uh, Shaklam Mustafi was, I mean, the, one of the worst errors I've seen in Premier League, I'd say, to allow uh, Wilfred Zaha to score one of the goals. But it must be very frustrating from Arsenal's fan point of view and very funny to the rest of us that they just keep on doing this. Um, like they're turning into a verb as well, just like Spurs, they're doing an Arsenal on it, which has just been defensively awful uh, over time. But they, like, I think what happened, Emery just rested a lot of players, uh, hoping that they'd have enough to get by Palace at home. I think it's only their second defeat at the Emirates this season. Um, so they've been brilliant at home, but they started um, Kyle Jenkinson and uh, Al Nenny in midfield, and those lads are kind of like their League Cup players written all over them, you know. So it is a risk uh, playing them and they just came up short against Palace, but you know, Palace, Palace were very decent on the break and they proved this uh, the other day, but it just, you know, it's again, another great result for the league and you look back in this Premier League season, when we do look back in years to come, uh, we probably don't even appreciate right now how good it is. Like, I know two of the three teams are already relegated, but I don't remember any season like this in the Premier League where, the, like, all of the top six it's so, so interesting. It's its own mini-league. And there is I know there is a problem that the other 13 teams are way, way behind the rest. And that is a problem in the Premier League. But to have Arsenal in the mix as well with Spurs, Chelsea and United for the third and fourth places, it is brilliant. It's it's heart attack-inducing for us, like, but it is brilliant for the Premier League. Uh, so thank God Arsenal just continue to be Arsenal. Just when you think they turn around the corner, they get reeled back into being the Arsene Wenger end of era days it's great uh, and I mean we've mentioned Emery's love of the Europa League and I think he's got an incredible record in terms of winning knockout games in that competition so he's obviously going to have an eye and probably based on the, uh, the the players that he chose for that game against Palace has a, a serious eye on, on that tournament I mean there's they've got two two ways into the Champions League next year that might actually be their, their better option and um, Yes, it might be. Um, to be totally honest with you, as um, sorry, as I should Colum just say, uh, you you may have heard a little bloop there, Colm. Do you want to bring us that breaking news story? <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to say that Shane Long has just scored the fastest goal in Premier League history. Gosh. <laughs> unbelievable, unbelievable scenes. What's that? Two goals in the last twenty-four years, oh, both coming in this season oh, from no, Shane Long. I think you'll find it's free, Sam, actually. Three this season. <laughs> it's four. Well, it's more than Alexis Sanchez, anyway. So it's maybe United should sign and put him on 750 grand a week. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, so uh, Arsenal and, uh, and Emery possibly pinpointing the Europa League as the more viable way into the Champions League. Yeah, it, it, looking at the... You know, it's so strange how quickly things have turned on them. Uh, they look like favourites a couple of weeks ago, and I would have said, you know, I, I think I did say on the pod I would have put them as me one of my top four. Um, but uh, they just don't look like they can they can put together enough of a, a run in the league. So 
looking at it, they've got a very winnable game against Valencia in the um, in the semi final, which I could see them winning quite comfortably. Valencia are a mid table team in Spain, you know, okay, it's it's a semi final, anything could happen, but with Arsenal's quality, you can see them winning that. And then if if it was down to a you know a Chelsea Arsenal final, if Chelsea have already got the top four wrapped up, you could see Arsenal with Emery's record in the in the Europa League having a really good shot at it. Um, look, looking at their league form at the moment, I wouldn't bank on them. Um, they just they as you say they're so inconsistent. I mean, old problems just don't go away overnight. And that defense, I've always thought this season that will be their undoing. And that that Mustafi mate, I, I, honestly, he, he must be one of the worst players in the top six at the moment. He's just he's just hideous to watch. Like, and it, it reminds me of when Liverpool used to have Skirtle, and you, you, you were just watching and waiting for Skirtle's uh, Skirtle's main moments of madness in the game, which would cost you cost you dearly. And it's it's the same there. You, I don't think you can have such a live wire in defence who's such a liability. So, I, just, I I wouldn't bank on them um, over the remaining games in the league. Right then, uh, we've managed to get. Just about forty-five minutes into the podcast, uh, and and avoid talking about this. But uh, United, Barca three nil, Everton four nil, and uh, sure, it's just City and Chelsea next. Um, lads, we spoke last week a lot about uh, we spoke a lot about how Ola, you know, maybe it was a knee-jerk reaction, a, a decision based on emotion rather than you know looking at the facts and, and looking who might actually be the best um, manager for the club. but So let, let's not go over all that again, but that's six defeats, I think, in eight. Is that right? And, you know, it could be seven in yeah. nine tomorrow. Fuck, it could be eight in ten come the weekend. Um, you know, we, we Solskjaer had the best start ever as a manager, but he must be getting close now to possibly one of the worst runs ever for the club too. So... Uh, What's going on, guys? Yeah, well, like the unfortunately the the kind of bounce that they had, you know, to, to getting to getting away from from Mourinho has has worn off badly, and it's hard not to repeat some of the stuff we said last week. But you know, all the old issues about you know that team, um, just not, not having the right attitude, not being strong enough mentally. Are coming coming back to the fore. Like you have to remember now. Like this team, the, the with the players, it's gone full circle now. Sam, um, like Solskjaer before the Everton game was saying that some of his of his players needed a reality check, and after the game, he pretty much admitted that he just wasn't sure if a lot of his players actually care about playing for Man United. They were the exact same things that Jose Mourinho was saying six months ago. Oh yeah, no. He he has started to you know mention that there are players and and speak about them negatively, which isn't something that he did at all when he when he first came in. And you know, yeah, there's obviously no. there are obviously issues there, uh, and and you're starting to see people around the club talking about them again. So let, let's maybe just talk about the cl- about the squad then and the players who are there, the players who will be moving on as they come towards the end of their their contracts. And I know some of them, uh, should United not get in the Champions League, would be even more likely to move on. Some will want to move on, some will be moved on, um, and I guess there's some who should stay. I mean, how many players in that squad would you keep? Uh, like, the Everton game, honestly, um, I would say, was in my opinion, that's the worst I've ever seen. Um, I, I text Colm after five minutes, before Everton had even scored, and I said, this isn't right. Just the body language, the, 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 the lack of intensity, everything, you could tell. And it didn't get better for the, for the, for the rest of the game. That was absolutely, that was a disgraceful performance. Um, 
in terms, you know, they've just been, they're on a poor run. They've lost 3-0 to Barcelona. Um, so, like, I could understand if they're not full of confidence and spraying the ball around, but you'd expect, expect some kind of reaction um, because they need to get back into the race for the top four and they're on a poor run. Even just, you know, this the old cliche, go back to basics, work harder than the other team, fight for everything. That was all completely absent. Pogba's come out and apologised for yesterday, but he did the same thing when we were brutal against Brighton. It's all, it's just words. It looked like a staged interview. I wouldn't be taking any of that for serious. He doesn't look like he's, ever since the Real Madrid stuff came up, he hasn't looked bothered. Um, I'm not going to blame him exclusively because I think as our most high-profile player, he does get a lot of abuse where other people kind of get away with it to a certain extent. But I, I think I felt sorry for Solskjaer. He, he's put so much faith into Mar- Marcus Rashford, made, made him his, his main man. And he was absolutely woeful against Bayern, uh, Barcelona in both legs. And he spent all day at Goodison waving his arms up and down. Um, I think, you know, if anybody thinks he should be our starting striker next year, even though he, there's no way he's clinical enough to be a 20-25 goal a season striker, they're living in fairyland. Look at, look at the two chances he missed in the first leg against Barcelona when he had time to take it down and, and take a shot. And the second one, in the first minute, any striker will tell you he had to take that with his left foot and he tries a flicked finish with the outside of his boot. Messi wouldn't have been able to pull it off. Um, so I think, think, you know, I know he's English, I know he's young and he's a man, but we need to look at things logically and that would be an emotional decision to make him your main striker because... It, he just misses chance after chance in big game. In big game, me personally, I think he's a he's a modern day front three player, and because he's not a good enough finisher to to lead the line, um, is is my opinion. But like it, it's it's from top to bottom, Sam. It's like there used to be a saying that when you left Man United, the only way was down. But like now, it's you join Man United, and the only way is down because there are players there that that you would think would probably thrive at other clubs, but there's just something toxic about Man United. We, You know, even coaches, Van Gaal and Mourinho, previously successful coaches, were making everybody look terrible. Like, um, And, like, we're in this weird situation now with the squad where our more talented players don't seem arsed. They just don't seem to care, the Marshalls, the Pogbas. Um, and then you have these other, other group of players, the Ashley Youngs, the Phil Joneses, Chris Mullins, that just aren't good enough. And they weren't good enough six or seven years ago either. And they're the only ones who actually, I have more respect for them because it's not their fault they're not good enough, but at least you can see they're trying. Um, and It's just absolutely, it, it, it's really bad at the moment. And you know, it, it comes from the top to bottom. All the decisions over the last six years or so have been just absolutely proved to be a disastrous given time. Um, you look at, you look right the way through, like everything's been reactionary, a complete lack of planning. Uh, that's what I alluded to when I talked about Liverpool earlier on. You know, we get Moyes in, that's a disaster. So we get, you know, so, okay, now we need an experienced coach at the top level. Oh, we'll get Van Gaal. We don't like Van Gaal's football. He's not going to get us winning the Premier League. We need a winner. Let's get Mourinho. Don't like Mourinho's football. Don't like how he carries on in the media, treats the players. Let's go back to the Man United way, which is a very abstract term, by the way. There is no Man United way in the way that you would say Barcelona have a playing style or Ajax have a playing style. You know what I mean? You'd, you'd struggle to really put you put one down with Man United, except they used to win a lot of football matches. Like attack, attack, attack is not, a, you know, a defined, tangible playing style. 
So it's just it's it's an absolute shit show, and I I would have said the word shit show and Man United on this pod more times than I'd care to 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 remember over the last year. But like, there's something else really worrying I I, I found yesterday, um, is that they're t- the Telegraph are reporting that Mike Phelan could be is in line to be the new director of football. No, I, I, I've since seen the. Uh, that that isn't going to be the case. It isn't going to be. Yeah, no, I I, I saw that as well because I, I I was like, I I quite like feeling being on the coaching, uh, sort of whatever you want to call us team with Solstar. I think that that's a good move, but having him upstairs would have been completely stupid. But they've since come out and said that that won't be happening. That, that's, okay, yeah, right. Thank you. Because that's say it's a bit of a rant anyway. Because that, for me, then you would have had a manager. <laughs> A manager who just came from the Norwegian league, and uh, you know Mike Phelan, who's only experience as a director of football, was with the Central Coast Mariners, trying to do one of one of the biggest rebuilding jobs in in world football at the moment, which is just apt. It's either it's either arrogant or stupid. Like like I said last week, there's no getting away from it. You look at the cold hard facts. There's no there's no other club would touch Mike Phelan, would touch Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I'm ta- not even top talking top six I'm talking Premier League and most championship clubs wouldn't hire them um, and we somehow think that they are going to get us back to 11 we're going to give them three or four hundred million in the summer to compete with the likes of Guardiola Tixi Bergestan Liverpool's transfer committee Jurgen Klopp like we're living in fantasy land if we think that's what's going to happen and what re- before I just stop there right because <laughs> no, sorry no listen because I don't want to come across as a personal attack on Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer or Mike Phelan or any of them because they, they seem like really decent people who love Man United and have its best interests at heart which is a lot more than I can say about a lot of the, the, the pampered players at the club but the fact is I don't believe they're anywhere near the quality of, of what is needed to, to get the, the club back to where it wants to be I just think they go in there and they try to do everything Ferguson used to do. But the, the, football has changed so much even since Fergie retired. It, it's a completely different ball game. And for United were lucky they had the success the last few years at, with Fergie because really United had become outdated that there was just one man looking every after it, after most things. And I, I just worry when... Like if I, I cover all the Solskjaer, you know, pre and post matches with the website. And lads, watch any interview. He can't do an interview without repair, without reference in the past. It's all 1999. It's all when we won the treble. Or this club, Man United tradition. Like, I'm sure that's coming from the, uh, you know, the the people, the the, the press people, and all the rest of it. You know, it's uh, they need to rebuild that kind of not told exactly what he has to, to say out in the press conference. It's coming from him because he's obsessed with it as well. The, the problem is, like, we're, we'll turn into Liverpool in the 90s, and yeah, Ant would agree with me, I'm pretty sure. I think we talked about it before. If you start, enjoy your history, cherish your history, but when you become obsessed with it, you won't have success in the present. And that's yeah. That's the way Man United are becoming. It's Everything is compared to Fergie. Now we have a lad in who... He was trying to do his best, but just isn't a big isn't a big name or a big character. I don't think. I'm pretty sure. Like there was a lot. I can't remember who it was on the Sunday supplement a couple of weeks ago. Was saying that Mike Phelan is there's they're essentially it's like a joy it's like a Roy Evans Gerard Houllier situation at United, and it would look that way when you look on the bench. 
um, during games. It's like a coaching team and not really Solskjaer. Does he have the strength of character to, to be leading a club like Man United? All the best intentions in the world. Does he? Doesn't look that way to me. Um, that that squad needs to be... I think they really need to really plan because I need, think they need to... They, they can't get rid of seven players and sign seven players. It's too much to do in one window. But what they what they need to do probably is sit down and say, we want to get rid of these four this this window, two more in the next window, and then two more again in the next window. Because that squad needs to be ripped up. They don't there's too much evidence now. Even maybe how they're interacting together, everything. It's it's just a really weak group of players. Um and they don't seem to care about you know the shirt they're representing, anything like that. So it's it's an absolutely monstrous job that's needed at Man United. Do you know what, Pete? Do you know, if, if look looking at it from a Liverpool perspective, you know, from an outsider looking in, and, and I've said before, it's hard. You know, you say I'm a neutral with Manchester United, we're not. You know, the, the rivalry's there. But I'll say something controversial now. But what did, what did you think of Ferguson being there for the PSG and Barcelona games? Because yeah. I looked at it and thought that was a distraction. I, he shouldn't I, be there. He shouldn't yeah. be on the touchline. He should be in the stand. That's fine. But he's not the manager anymore, and he's 77, whatever he is, years old. He's an old man. He's a no, great man, but he shouldn't be there. You know, and, it's a distraction. And I'll be honest, I kind of skirt around saying this sometimes. I would cut every fucking tie to, to, to Sir Alex out of the club. You have to. Because yeah. I think that is actually having a negative impact. Um, yeah. And I think, essentially, Phelan and Solskjaer are his boys, really, is, is, is what they are. Um, and I, I don't think it helps. Us. Like, geez, I'm not for one minute saying that you know stop them coming to games or or anything no, like. No, that. But no. But I, I just th- I I think they need to cut all ties and start a new. Like, like this is what I'm saying about the Solskjaer interview, lads. You watch a Jurgen Klopp. He handles brilliantly all the Liverpool history. He doesn't ignore it, but he doesn't pay too much attention to it either. And he tries to. It's all about it's this team, this team, not that team. Guardiola, mm. no references to the past. This shit about, oh yeah, but Mike Field and, uh, and Solskjaer, they get the club, they know the club. Bullshit. Absolute horseshit. Tixie Burgestan, Guardiola gone into Man City. Do they get the club? No, but they're brilliant football people. Same with Jurgen Klopp. Like, you have, you have Mike Field, I read, I read a couple of weeks about Mike Field. Oh, well, you know, since Mike came back in, there's smile, smiles on the dinner ladies' faces. Well, absolutely brilliant, lads. I'd say the top clubs in Europe are quaking because the fucking dinner ladies at Old Trafford are smiling again. Do you know that? Like, we're actually we're claiming to be the big biggest club in the world, but we're using such a small term mentality. And the board are obviously completely culpable for this because, like I said, everything's been reactive over the last six years, and they're gonna they're gonna, like Man City again. Man City will people will always level at Man City that they got all that money. And that's very, very true. It, it's a massive part to playing their sex success. But it, you have to spend that money wisely. And Man City don't get enough credit for how well they've spent their money, in my opinion. United have spent 600-odd million in the last six years. And we're talking about, realistically, as a Man United fan, there's not one of them players I want to keep at the moment. I have to say, a rant for the ages, Peter. It really, really was. But I'll pass over to Colm just for a second because, but Peter makes a good point at the at the end there. There's not many players, and I think you said this actually last week that there's nobody really in the team that you love. 
So who would you who who's on the way out then? Because Peter was saying you can't get rid of say seven or whatever. That there'll only be a couple who will be moved on. Are players like who re, who I think we all think really need to move on, like Young and and Smalling and Jones and stuff like that? Are they going to be the ones who make way, or is it going to be some of these more peripheral ones, or are there going to be some big names on their way out? Uh, I don't know. I mean, this is uh, this is like. Uh... <laughs> Like a couple who get married too quickly, then they're like, "Oh no!" And this is what's happening with Solskjaer now. And it's like, "Oh, this is going to be mortifying. We're going to have to divorce really quickly." And that goes for everybody that's playing at the moment for us. And um, I'm going to start by referencing other people's work, okay, this week. But there's uh, two very good articles on what happens on Sunday against Everton. One by Miguel Delaney from the Independent. And he, uh, the title of the article is Inside the Old Trafford Dressing Room. And it's basically saying that it's completely poisonous now. And it's not just himself that's the problem, i.e. Paul Pogba. Um, There's one player, uh, obviously anonymous, who's saying that Marcus Rashford isn't the nice, humble boy he once was. That there's a massively negative Spanish-speaking influence in the team. So you have De Gea, Mata, Herrera, Rojo, and Valencia. And I, I might be missing one or two others there. San- Sanchez, I guess. Sanchez, yeah. Sanchez, yeah. Um, who all, pretty much to a man, with arguably the exception of Juan Mata, have a completely negative outlook of Manchester United. And it's seeping through the system. Uh, Romelu Lukaku was open to leaving. Paul Pogba is desperate to leave Real Madrid. And... That speaks volumes to me. The uh, volumes to me. The other article was written by Jonathan Wilson for the Guardian, uh, and it was also in the Irish Times today. And he said that the question of the headline of his article was a simple question: Who would you keep as a United fan? Who would you? Who would you be? Or in other words, who would you be sad to see leave the club? And it's really, really hard to pick one. It's really hard. And I said this, as you say, last week, I said it, before this 7-0 aggregate defeat of the last two games. And, jeez, if it was hard then, it's a mammoth task now to pick something. <laughs> you talk, I mean, I, all right, all right, look, you asked me the question in a very roundabout way. This is my answer, right? I'll tell you who I would keep. And this is it, right? I would keep Luke Shaw, Diogo Dallo. I would keep Scott McTominay. I would keep David De Gea. Even though he wants to go, I'd keep him. Um, I would keep Jesse Lingard for the squad, and I'd keep Marcus, I'd keep Marcus Rashford, right? I honestly wouldn't keep anybody else. But who do I think will go? I would say, at the very most, Pogba will leave. Sanchez will leave. Um, you really think Sanchez uh, will leave? Who's going to come yeah, in? I mean. I think he'll go to the US or China. I think someone will China. take yeah. yeah, someone will take him. Uh, or he may go home. He may go home. Who knows? But I think uh, I think he will go. I, I honestly think his future is untenable. I think I honestly think the rest are going to stay. I think Martial will try to go, but I don't think he will. Um, I could see Martial go in January or something next year. I think for some reason he'll stay. And I don't know why. And it won't make sense. But he'll stay. And... I honestly think the rest are going to stay. I think they'll keep Ashley Young for another year. I think if you put Phil Jones 
and Chris Smalling into the championship playoffs, they wouldn't make a difference. So I can't see anybody taking them on. So I think they'll stay. And that's why that's why it's bleak for me, the future, because I don't see a way out of this. Is it like these players have almost, because they've been around and they've managed to stay at the club for such a long time that now their contracts are such a, are such that they're basically they're, they're priced out of the market? They're totally undesirable for the market, yeah. our players. Like, that we don't have attractive players in the market. Um, that Antonio, we want to get rid of. Yeah, Antonio Valencia is a good, uh, a good example. He's leaving at the end of the summer because, or at the end of the season, because we've kind of used him as much as we can and there's nothing left to do with him. But where is he going to go from here? And you'd have the same question when Ashley Young leaves, when Phil Jones leaves, when Chris Smalling leaves. What are, what are they going to do? I know it's not our problem. But that it 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 emphasizes the problem in our squad. Well, I what mean, they'll, they'll they'll go to Sunderland, obviously. <laughs> yeah, Sunderland, yeah, Sunderland, no matter. Yeah, Park City and Waterford as well. <laughs> like, like it's ah, it's uh, it's it, it, it's the worst. As Pete it's Pete said, I mean, that was the worst ever. That was the worst ever Sunday. De- definitely the worst ever. Uh, probably the worst ever game as a United fan. I'm not being. Uh, not trying to be dramatic. I mean, it is a dramatic statement, but I'm not trying to be. Uh, I thought the two defeats in the Champions League against Barcelona, the Champions League final, 2009-2011, were heartbreaking because we were so outclassed. But there's no shame in it. We've had famous hammerings by Man City and Newcastle. But they were, they're almost, you know, they're in folklore, those games. But this was the ultimate low, like 4-0. And I think it was the 86th minute where we had a shot in target. By, and the guy who took the shot is probably the guy who cares the least in Anthony Martial. It's just unbelievable. And I think Pete's line is the best here so far, which was, we think we're the biggest club in the world and we run it like a pretty high-octane Sunday league team, I would say. And that's, that's it for me. And then the problem is we're not going to... Are, are the Glazers going to sell this club? I don't know. But Jesus, you'd almost take the Saudi Arabian billions. Like you really, you'd almost sell out to that extent, because this is going to continue next season. What's going to change? Like, what is going to change? So we're going to drop out of the top six soon. I'm telling you, that I, I, this is this is the worst in the six years. And the only the only positive thing about it is, it can only go up from here. Surely. Yeah, well, the only positive I can take from it, just based on what you guys are saying, there is is that we been off the Football Faithful podcast and uh, MU uh, Fan TV starts next season with you two guys as the, the tubes and, and what you call it rolls because passionate speeches, guys. I enjoyed them very much, but like it's it's bleak. It's fucking bleak. Yeah. It's, it, there's no, like there there's literally, there's no quick fix. This is like, the thing, the reason why I'm so concerned with the Solskjaer thing and all is because that team needs so much work and that that realistically, like the decisions, I think the decisions that happen over the next two or three transfer windows will define how the club does for the next three to four seasons, right? Because you get players in, there's a churn, all the rest of it. You don't just get instant, well, a lot of the time, considering the way Man United are at the moment, it's not going to be instant results. And I think most people can see that. The only... I would say the only positive with having Solskjaer there and giving him the money is a lot of the talk in the papers is that he's going to go after 
um, a lot of the top young talent. So, Jaden Sancho. Sancho, yeah. Yeah, uh, Declan Rice. Now, looking at Everton, the, the, the Everton performance, the complete lack of leadership reminded me of the dark days of the Arsenal Wenger, Arsenal Wayne, uh, Rain, how, how bad it was at time, times. So, I think we probably need a mix of, of experience and young players. But I think, in a way, Solskjaer, because, like I said, he does care about the club. Um, I'd say he might sign a lot of talented young players, but... You know, like that saying, he'll plant the tree, but he will never get to see it grow. Um, I think that's what might happen. Um, the thing is, Pete, with, with, with Sancho, what, what yeah. I don't get about the, um, the, the Sancho rumours is, I mean, I think he's genuinely one of the best young talents in Europe at the moment. There's no doubt about that. But if he's a sixth in the league and it's as bad as what you lads are saying, um, would, would, would he want to come? You know, well, if, if there's other clubs coming for him. No, sorry, sorry to cut across you there, and your, your volume just went down a bit. But like, it, it's you look at it now, like, like people always say, oh, it's Man United, you can still attract players, and 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 like, yeah, of course, you know, there were we. One of our other issues, like like Colin said, is we put all these average players on massive contracts, so then we're stuck with them. We can't get rid of them. Um, but like. Footballers talk. People know within the industry what's going within the game, what's going on. I'd say anybody, any agent is saying at the moment, don't go near Man United. That's an absolute shit. That's, that's your problem, isn't it? When Liverpool were in your position under Rodgers and and Dalglish, we were losing players. I remember when when we went after Willian, and then Spurs went in for him, and Chelsea went in for him, and we all just look, looked at each other and said, "Well, that's that then. We're bollocks because we're shit." And he, if if Spurs and, and Chelsea are going to come in for him, then why, why would he come to us? We had Mike Sigurdsson turned us down because Spurs could offer him more money. You know, did, we, we were going after players who you wouldn't even say were the top band of players. And because there was such a rebuilding work going on, as you say, they're not daft. The agents are talking. They know, you know that Liverpool were probably two or three years away from being anywhere. And it might be the same with Manchester United from what you boys are saying. So it's all very well and good. Yes, Sancho and Declan Rice, these are, these are very good talents, but if it's as bad as what you're saying it is, would you get them? I don't know. It's a, it's a tough question. One of the issues I think that I saw, um, what Colm said about the Spanish players having their own clique, and one of the reports I read, I can't remember where it was, but it was, it was from a reputable enough source, was that a lot of them feel that the English players get treated a lot differently. It's like Small and Jones and, and uh, Young all getting contract extensions with a minimum of fuss, um, whereas, you know, Mata and, and Herrera, they're, they're really haggling with them. But, like, you just look at the acceptance of, of failure um, at Man United over the last few years. Like, Phil Jones is a centre-back who's an accident waiting to happen. Um, he's he's injury prone, and they handed him a four year contract. It, it's just absolutely bizarre some of the decision making that that's going on at the club. Um, it's it's just an it's it's an absolute shit show. They, my my personal opinion is they need to, like I said, cut the ties, get some proper experienced football people in to to run the show, push Ed Woodward to the side, do a sponsorships or whatever, and um, and start afresh because. I, I I think our, our fascination with the past is dragging us down, and, and the place is just yeah, it's absolutely. I think this is my my lowest point ever as a Man United fan right now. Well, no, that's uh, that is saying something. Get this right. smart number up there, Sam. After that, will you, mate? <laughs> if you've been affected by any of the issues discussed in the show today, 
Uh, right. Uh, oh, that's almost us at the end of the show. We just have to, uh, well, round two of the quiz. Hopefully put a smile back on uh, Peter's face. Peter, I think you just need one more if you're going to uh, claim victory today. So uh, first player in the second half began his career at uh, Deportes... Oh, shit. Th- these clubs are hard to say. Deportes Quindio. Deportes Quindio. It's classic pronunciation there. Uh, he went from there to Deportivo Cali. Oh, Peter, Peter, Peter. Uh, Peter. Bastino Esprilla. Wasn't, no. Uh, went from there to a club called Monterey. Call him, Peter. Call him. Edison Cavani. No. Peter. Peter. Valderrama. No. Went from there then to Atlas on loan. And then went to a club called Necaxa. N-E-C-A-X-A. Necaxa. Call him. Is it Maxi Rodriguez? No, it isn't. Uh, he went from there then. Ant. Ant. Is that the uh, Carlos Vella? Is it the old Arsenal? No, folk? no. Uh, he went from there then to Wigan Athletic. Peter. Peter. Hugo Rodriguez. That's exactly who it is, and you've won it. Well done. Very yeah, good I'm, shout. Self absorbed. I forgot about all Man United's problems now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, makes it he always <laughs> does. Uh, right, uh, that means it's just time for Prick of the Week. Uh, Ant, we'll start with you. Um, yeah, I'm going to go over Pete's vibe from earlier on in the show. Uh, just David Luiz having a proper shit fit about Burnley um, and, <laughs> and being anti-football and throwing themselves on the ground and wasting time and just generally having a good old moan because... Uh, because Burnley had the audacity to try and get something from his team, and look, just look how when he was having his wins, I just kept thinking, Pockle and Kettle, mate. Literally, like you have played in some teams who've been who've made their careers on that. So just stop whinging and get on with it. You had a draw with Burnley. Happens to the best of us. God <laughs> sake. Uh, Colin, what about you? I'm gonna go for James Ward Prowse's glorious body check on Almiron. <laughs> uh, at St James's Park. It was it was nil all at the time between Newcastle and Southampton. I mean, I've never seen more of a straight red card in all my life, but he was given a yellow. And the best part in this slow motion replay and match of the day, they, they showed it from uh, the referee's point of view. And Almiron puts it way past War Prowse. And War Prowse doesn't even know what colour the ball is. All his eyes <laughs> are on Almiron. It's a straight up two in the morning outside McDonald's assault. And uh, the Newcastle players are going mental at War Prowse. The classic thing where he just runs after the ball to pretend it was that he got the ball. <laughs> and then the ref gives him a yellow card. Uh, and Shearer didn't think it was a red either. That was the weird thing. Alan Shearer said on match of hey, it wasn't a red. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about, Shearer? Sure. <laughs> it was so wasn't it? Because it was so far away from goal. See, that's the only... Like, yeah, calling for the rules, it's not a red card. Yards away from goal. Uh, fair enough. Uh, Peter, are you? Yeah, I'm going to go with the Cardiff City captain, Sean Morrison. Uh, y'all know I have this long, long-held long belief now that the football gods have just decided that Liverpool are, are going to win the Premier League, but I still maintain that little sliver of hope. And, uh, yeah, I don't like the... I don't know if you saw his miss from the court from Joe Rawls corner when it was one nil, just an open goal, and he's probably like the one man you'd wanted to fall for, fall to. He's really good set piece situations normally, and I don't know, it's one of the worst misses I've seen in a long time, and um, just completely misses, dives a full foot under the ball like, and it kind of clips off his shoulder blades and flies away, and then of course not long after he kind of. 
you know, he gives away the penalty for Salah. And, you know, I know people are giving out that, that Salah went down too easy, but he was manhandling, you know, he gave gave the ref no option, really. So, yeah, Sean Morrison, you were a massive prick this week. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, did anyone see the story about the, the story from Sweden about the guy who poked his uh, teammate in the eye? Yeah, yeah. So, I saw that. Oh, it's a fantastic story. So this is uh, a, a club called Deggerfors, and uh, substitute Matthias Osgun was uh, injured after a high five with his teammate went wrong. So you know he's he's one of the players is is running off the pitch. Your man's getting ready to come on. They both go to do a high five, but he air fives and then pokes him straight in the eye, <laughs> straight in the eye. Uh, your man kind of jogs on and he's kind of got his hand in his eye, going, "Oh God, oh maybe I can." Uh, and no, he has to go off immediately after coming on because he's been hurt quite badly in the eye by his teammate. Uh, what a prick. Not him, the eye, the eye poker is total prick. Uh, right, that's it from me and uh, and from the lads as well. Thank you uh, so much for listening. We will be back again next week. And uh, keep an eye on your feeds and do subscribe. We're now on lots of different things. And uh, if you subscribe on iTunes, it'll pop up instantly. We're also on Spotify and a whole load of different places and still on SoundCloud as well. But uh, some of those other ones may be better and easier for you to, uh, to keep up to date on. Uh, just time to say thanks to Peter. Thanks, Peter. Cheers, lads. Thanks, Colin. Thanks, lads. Cheers, lads. Cheers, lads. Nice one. And thanks for me. See you next time.